Welcome everyone to The Bread of Life, a radio ministry of the International Mission Church Partnership Evangelism and his associate fellowship, The Bread of Life in Boise, Idaho. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the director of CPE and your Bible teacher. If you want to learn more about the work we're doing to raise up evangelists and church planters around the world, go to traincpe.org. And to learn about our church in Boise, Idaho, go to breadoflifeboise.org. It is the default defense of everyone who feels the potential judgment of God. That is, to assert their moral superiority in contrast to someone else in some way or some manner. But Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, that this kind of moralism does not provide for us an excuse for our own behavior before God. And he also says there's no disguise of our guilt before God. God will judge us according to truth, with true eyes. And the last thing Paul says is, not only are we without excuse and without disguise, but we're also without escape from the judgment of God. The moralist judgment by God is inescapable. He's without excuse and he's without escape. This is something that God emphasizes in his word over and over again that God will have his day of judgment. The Lord Jesus, when he shares his parables, you'll see that a large portion of the parables of the Lord Jesus point to a day and a moment in which God will conclusively draw all things together in one great disclosing judgment of the behavior and the sins of man. There's a final conclusive judgment that's coming. And as we've said before, there's good news that God has to give to us, but it can only come to us if we satisfactorily comprehend the bad news that we're our sinners that we're accountable for our sins, that the truth will be found out to the full extent of all that we've done and all the sins we've committed, and God will judge us accordingly by those sins. And we can't escape it. You know, we have heard it said that there are only two things that you can be certain of, taxes and death, death and taxes. I think there are people who have actually not paid their taxes. You might go to Erie and Jaya and climb back up into the jungles in some far mountain place, and you'll find a tribe of people who have never paid taxes. Never. They've escaped taxes. And I know that at least Enoch and Elijah escaped death. The other day, I was speaking to a friend who thinks that he actually has a very serious disease, a fatal disease, and he said, I'm I've decided my hope is in the rapture. (laughs) What does he want? He wants the Lord Jesus to come so that he can escape dying physically. It's going to happen someday. There's a number of us that are just going to be here waiting. The Lord Jesus is going to come from us and we're going to escape death. But not one of us is going to escape the judgment seat. Every one of us is going to stand before the judge to be judged for the deeds that we've done in our flesh. You will not, you will not escape the judgment Here's how we're going to conclude these things. Remember how Paul began this train of thought that he's leading us through. He began it in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. This is what he said. He's wanting to bring us to the good news that he's going to begin unfolding to us in the middle of Romans chapter 3, but he has to establish and convince us of the bad news, and we have to accept it, or the good news is irrelevant. It means nothing. In Romans 1.18, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against... All ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. You might want to take your pen and underline the word all. We must accept this argument. If we don't accept this argument that God's wrath is against all sin, 
then we will of necessity need to deny the cross of Jesus Christ and the punishment that he paid for all sin there. You deny your sin. You deny that God will judge all sin in complete truth. You deny that there is a day of final judgment that will come upon all sin. And then you must begin denying the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Here's another way to put it. Is there an answer for our sins? Is there an answer for God's truthful revealing of all our sins? Is there an answer for the exacting judgment that he will bring upon all our sins? If God is going to judge all of us in truth and bring all of our sins into account at his judgment seat, what hope do we have? What hope do we have? This is what Paul is saying to the moralist. He's telling them this is going to take place. Well, the answer is this, that God has a truthful and just way of addressing our sins completely and fully and saving us from them at the same time. And as a result, there's only one way of escape, one way of escape from it. We're going to go ahead here for a moment, go to Romans chapter 3. We're jumping ahead in Paul's argument, but it's good for us to remind ourselves of these things. It's why we need to believe these things. It's why we need to believe that God is going to judge even the moralist who lives this fine moral life because that man is without excuse because he still goes on sinning at some level and he knows there's a standard of righteousness that he's offended. And we need to understand that he cannot disguise himself in his moral activity. God will find him out. He knows it. And we have to appreciate that God will judge all of us truthfully according to all that we've done and all that we've thought and all of our actions and it will all be exposed. We need to come to terms with these things and believe these things because in believing these things, it opens up for us the necessity and the reality and the depth of reality of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we read of in Romans chapter 3. Let me read to you verses 24 through 26. Paul is going to describe how it is that we're made just before God. We who are found to be sinners, go back earlier in Romans chapter 3 and there Paul will now pronounce a litany of sin that he pronounced in, in Romans 1, verses 18 through 32, which he posed against the idolater and the pagan, and now he'll say the exact same things even more against everybody and anybody, the moralist and the religious individual as well. And He'll say that all of them are guilty before God as a result of that. All of them are pronounced guilty before God. And what is the answer to all these things? It comes only through faith in Jesus Christ. Being justified, he writes, freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God set forth as a propitiation the idea there is the object of wrath or judgment God set apart his son as the object of our wrath and our judgment by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. There's the answer. For all that he understands and meticulously knows, it's in what Christ has done for us. This last week I had the opportunity to read a historical account of a group of individuals who in the mid-1600s had put to death the first King Charles of England. We just had uh, this week Charles III ascend to the throne as King of England, but back in the 1640s, the first King Charles was a horrible king. 
and he waged war against his own people. What was really the bloodiest civil war ever in England, and as a result of thousands and thousands of his subjects being put to death, he was defeated. He was defeated by a general by the name of Oliver Cromwell and a group of individuals who wanted to set up a republic in England. They didn't know what to do with the king because the king was not willing to recognize that he'd been defeated. He still wanted to pray about and demand they would all bow before him. And so, not knowing what to do, finally they assembled a judgment and they brought him before judgment. There were over a hundred judges that stood before him and there was a trial that took place and all the crimes he had committed were brought forward and all the people that he had put to death were brought forward as a witness against him. And, and finally they decided that the only justice to be given was he had to be put to death. And so they sentenced him to death and they all signed his death warrant. Some 10 years later, the attempt at the Republic failed because individuals got greedy and all of them decided they wanted to be kings themselves in some way or another. So they invited back the son of Charles I, Charles II, to be the king, only with the promises that he would be lenient to those that he ruled over. And he became the king, but as soon as he became the king, he reneged. He reneged on his promise to be lenient, and instead he went after and wanted to put to death everyone who had signed that warrant, that warrant against the king. And he, they found these men, they hunted them down, they took them and they hung them and kept them alive, and then they had them drawn and quartered, and they gave them just horrific, violent put them to death in horrific and violent ways. And one by one, they were dying. And there was one individual by the name of Colonel Hutchinson. His wife had relations to the royalists that were now in power. And his wife knew just the right timing and the right words to say and just the right things to affect mercy before the king. And she coached her husband and she got the resources from the... She was a cousin of the advisor to the king. And so just the right language at just the right time. And she got her husband to say all the right things so that he would escape this judgment. While all of his compatriots were dying and being put to death, he was able to slide through the judgment because he knew what to say at the right time. And he was able to obscure what his part was in the actions that he was forced and he was coerced into signing the names. And he was able to genuflect at the right moment in order to gain the king's mercy. And he was just one of a few individuals who were able to escape that judgment. But it didn't set well with him. He began to resent his wife for guiding him through this kind of deceptive way. He began to read nothing but his Bible. And as he read his Bible, he came to the conclusion that they had only done what was just. They were brought to the decision they had made to execute the king out of justice because he had been such a bloody and horrible king. And he began to also feel guilty that he had gained the mercy of the king by what he called was an act of deceit. He gained mercy from an unjust king by an act of deceit. And so he gave himself up. He was thrown into a prison and within 11 months he died. And if you read the account, those 11 months are some of his most happy months. He's taken from the place where he was a lord of a great manor. And he's thrown into prison and yet there he had God's word and he had peace and he, he died in comfort and joy. But he, he was concerned that he had gained mercy through deceiving an unjust king. One day we're going to stand before the king of kings and the lord of lords who is just in every way and you will not gain mercy in that way. You won't be able to deceive him. He knows all things and sees all things and you'll have to answer for all things. So how is it that you will be able to receive mercy from a God who knows all the truth about you? In Isaiah 53, 11, we read in the last part of that verse these statements. With 
full knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. With full knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. What does it mean? It means that Jesus knew the particulars of all our sin. He knew the cost of all of our sin. He knew in truth the exacting nature of every offense that we have raised and will ever raise against God. And he knew it when he went to the cross. He had full knowledge of it all. And at the cross, not only did he offer up an exacting judgment of our sin, but he paid an exacting price for it. He died for it all, for what he truly knew. Martin Lloyd-Jones of this writes, God's judgment is according to truth, always, everywhere, even when his own son is the sin bearer. He spared him nothing because his judgment was always according to the truth. Nothing was spared when God poured out his judgment upon his son. This, they agreed, was the way that God would pay for our sins so that he might justly have mercy on us with no deceit. How do you find that mercy? You stop living in deceit. You come before God and you tell the truth and you confess it and you acknowledge your sin. Even those you don't see, you draw near to him. You take hold of him. You believe and trust in the righteousness that Christ alone provides you and you give up and you let go of every impulse and self-righteous justification. It will fall short. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.